Hello, welcome to Outfit Bunga Bunga, the global politics podcast at the end of the end of history. My name is Alex Hochuli in Sao Paulo, Brazil. The other members of this podcast, George Hoare and Philip Cunliffe, will be joining for the second half of this episode. So the date is Monday the 30th of November, and last Tuesday, the 26th of November, the YouTube channel for Zero Books put out a video that was promptly taken down for supposedly violating community standards regarding COVID. Now, Zero Books, if you don't know, is a publisher of radical critical theory and indeed is the publisher of our book, of the Alpha Bunga Bunga book, which will be due out in June 2021, called The End of the End of History. Uh, so right now, I'm going to chat to Douglas Lane, the editor, about censorship, platform capitalism, and the left. After this interview, if you're a patron, you're going to hear our regular three articles episode. This month, we're discussing the future of warfare and drones, the way COVID has exposed the hollowed-out neoliberal state, and very pertinently, uh, big tech's attempt to curb conspiracy theories. And you'll see why that's pertinent in just a minute. Uh, now, to get access to that, you need to sign up at patreon.com slash bungacast. Uh, on there, we put out around two original episodes a month, which include uh, bonus content, occasional appearances from our regular guests, and our reply to listener comments and criticisms. Uh, we also have a regular reading club, which is accessible if you're a $10 patron. Uh, this month, we'll be discussing Christopher Lash's The Culture of Narcissism, uh, also very appropriately, and maybe we'll see why that is appropriate in just a second. Anyway, we'd be delighted to have you. Uh, now, let me welcome Douglas Lane. Hi, Doug. It's uh, great to speak to you once again. Welcome. Yeah. Yeah, it was great to talk to you uh, for our channel just the other day, and uh, I'm glad to be on the Alpha Bunga Bunga uh, podcast. Yeah, great to, to, to kind of repay the, the exchange, uh, the exchange of views. Um, so firstly, maybe uh, if you could tell us about the video that was taken down, tell us about the content of it, because um, maybe listeners won't be aware, um, and they might be thinking, well, maybe there was some, you know, crazy, outrageous stuff on there that needed to be taken down. So maybe you could explain a little bit the contents of the video. Sure. I mean, uh, from one point of view, there was some crazy, outrageous stuff on it, because it's a, it was a, a video that was meant to explore the ideas of, of revolutionary Marxism. Um, but uh, the specific reason it was taken down, the reason that was given was that it violated community standards around uh, COVID-19. Specifically, it was said to have uh, tried to dispute um, the recommendations of the World Health Organization uh, around social distancing and um, social iso iso isolation. It, it, it didn't do that uh it was not disputing the world health organization to start with it was a part of a series of uh videos um lately we've been trying to be consistent uh in the video production that we do um that i do uh, i i do a series called critical cuts and i have been taking up particular texts um and evaluating them kind of creating a series of videos over the course of a month uh, on one given book or author um, at a time. So uh, in October, I, I covered uh, Cornelius Castriotis's, uh book um, uh, and his idea about the imaginary. Uh, this month, I was looking at Christopher Lash's Agony of the Left and his ideas in general. And this was the third video in a series of videos on Christopher Lash, or maybe it was the no, it was a second video in a series of videos on Christopher Lash and the agony of the left. And what I had done was because, in, you know, when you're on YouTube, you want to make the uh, videos clickable. You want to get people's attention and you want to kind of get into the discourse. And so I, I look around online for ideas and topics that I think will uh, 
complement the ideas of the theorist that I'm working with or that I can use the theorist to comment upon. So this time uh, I decided to, t to make a video about the Great Reset, which is a real thing. Um, the, the World Health Organization, not, not the World Health Organization, the, uh, the World Economic Forum and uh, Goldman Sachs have both talked about uh, uh, there needing to be a great reset of capitalism. And many people on the uh, far right have seen this as a basically uh, the elite globalists letting the cat out of the bag that they're trying to destroy capitalism um, and destroy the, our way of life and all that kind of thing. I decided yeah. to take a different uh, approach to it. Yeah, and, and so just a thing on the, on the Great Reset, because it's, um, it's interesting to me. I, it actually seems like a far more banal idea or certainly like less um less out there than than the kind of obviously the, than the right seems to think it is um it seems to me like various proposals from economic elites and and their media representatives for like quote unquote ethical capitalism so you know uh, foregrounding right. sustainability inclusive growth um we've actually discussed this on this podcast a couple of times on a previous three articles um listeners should check out episode 103 as well as an episode on ideologies of the near future which is number 112 um i'll link to both of those in the show notes but it's something that's a, a recurring idea a way of trying to re-legitimate capitalism in in an era of, of growing inequality basically right Right. I mean, what what the bankers like the people at Goldman Sachs or uh, the people at the World uh, Economic Forum try to do is they take on kind of left sounding language to package pretty milquetoast reformist ideas um, that will address real concerns that are arising in society. So we really do have a problem with climate change. There's uh, uh, a need to I think to fundamentally change the basis for production, if we're going to address that um, in any significant way. But the you know people in in the more towards the center, people who aren't revolutionary Marxists, will come along and use revolutionary language to describe uh, you know pretty tame uh, policy proposals. Um, you know, like for instance, self policing for. Uh, major corporations and the idea that rather than just being concerned about shareholder value, you should also be concerned about stakeholder value and the impact that your production has on a community um, is, you know, uh, hardly revolutionary, <laughs> probably ineffective. <laughs> yeah. Um, and mostly just a matter of uh, public relations. Um, but when you package that together with some buzzwords about uh, diversity and um, hinting at something like reparations but not really meaning it um, and you and you throw in uh, carbon taxes and the need for a vaccine and <laughs> an investment in and in, in medicine and that kind of thing it, it it's easy for people on the far right to, to pick that all up use the fact that you've you've maybe packaged this in radical sounding language uh to create a conspiracy theory around yeah um and yeah and so this then gets taken down um so could you tell us a little bit yeah my video got taken down because i was critiquing the world health uh i'm sorry again the world economic forum uh and the progressivist version of the left or the progressive left for 
not doing enough to address these real concerns, the real problems that arise, like massive unemployment, say, or, or the social is- isolation that comes from uh, COVID-19, uh, and uh, using the language of the left uh, to to not address these problems, uh, but to enrich themselves. And point, I was pointing out that when the left allows its own vision to be hijacked by bankers and and institutionalists of, of all kinds, um, we appear to be on the wrong side of a class struggle. And that was the point of my video, was that we need to disassociate ourselves from these kinds of uh, operators yeah, uh, so, if we're going to not. Go ahead. Yeah, so how, how does this thing fall foul of whatever its community guidelines on COVID are? Does it think that you're denying? I don't. I, you, you have any they idea? haven't said. So you gain no clarity. You gain no clarity from Google, YouTube, on this whatsoever. I can guess, but they have not told me. So, so what? What, I, what is I, your? I mean, just, just you know, it's obviously outrageous that it should be taken down. But just for for the sake of having you know the, the, all the information, what 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 do you, what do you think? You know, speculating was the reason I that it provoked Alex the, Jones. And towards the hmm. first minute and a half, I put a clip of Alex Jones saying that COVID was a hoax into the video and then i also came back and said well you know it's easy to dismiss alex jones when he's clearly out of his head but on the other hand if we're going to be doing something more than you know shooting fish in a barrel we should probably try to look at what's rational or what the rational kernel is in his perspective and the rational kernel is that covid 19 is being used as a weapon against the working class just like everything else is and our society is ultimately turned into a weapon against the working class. The banking crisis was a weapon used as a weapon against the working class, for instance. So, um, go ahead. Yeah. So, I mean, what is clear from this is that, you know, the algorithm, the algorithm at any rate, can't distinguish between a, a rational, radical critique and a fantastical conspiracy theory. Um, right. Which, yeah, you know, we should we, we, we probably shouldn't expect algorithms to do that <laughs> at this stage. Not yet. Anyway. No. So that's but, it, but it gets to make the decision. The algorithm is making the decision about whether or not my video stays on the channel and whether or not my channel sticks around. Right? There's not a human being who's in charge of uh, you know of whether deciding whether our channel really Zero Books channel uh, gets to continue to produce content is and, and for the people uh, encounter this is something that's being decision being decided by robots or software that doesn't function very well. And and which you can't appeal to, you know, and which you can't really appeal on either, because no. it seems that there's not really enough humans behind it to kind of evaluate each case. And and so now you're left in a situation where you've got this video which has been flagged, you've got a warning. And so if you had any future cases like this where an algorithm incorrectly takes down a video, uh, your your whole channel might get taken down. Um, and that's right. a, that's a, that exercises what is in effect a really chilling uh, chilling effect on on free speech. Right. It it really makes it difficult to know what I can talk about without setting off the algorithm. I mean, it it, it would it, it, if, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't really know what I can say uh, safely. And in fact, I, I don't think that there is a, a path that is safe going forward where I could just return to uh, a kind of pablum because I don't know what will set off the algorithm at all. But I, I do know that um, it make the, in this case, what I think of as a uh, 
important kind of critique, you know, backed by the, the writings of Christopher Lash, has been taken down and suppressed uh, in the name of fighting uh, right-wing conspiracies. And I, al- I also would point out that the community standard itself isn't justifiable, that I should have the right to go onto YouTube and dispute the findings and the recommendations of the World Health Organization. That that shouldn't be sure blocked. Absolutely. Um, that you know that that shouldn't be automatically against community standards. No, that's right. We need to have, in my opinion. Con- Absolutely, we need to have open contestation of of all ideas, even ones where we think you know that the science is pretty much settled and that <laughs> COVID is a bad thing. Right. Um, it you know yeah. th- and the clamping down on it uh, only encourages the conspiracy theory- theorists to think that there is some shadowy network wanting to clamp down discussion of it. So it's really counterproductive, even on its own terms. And yet, we're, right. we're, we're in a situation where I mean, I think one thing I should highlight is that you've written a blog discussing these issues, um, we'll link to mm-hmm. it in the show notes, um, where you conclude by noting that, you know, especially for the left, when we're on social media, when we're on Twitter, YouTube, uh, Instagram, whatever, we're on enemy territory. And I think that's maybe yeah. something that needs to be recognized, because we treat it as the public square, and it feels like the public square, but it kind of isn't I mean it's it's private space. Yeah, it's a private space to the to the degree to which it is moderated uh, with a political vision. Uh, it the political vision that that is controlling these spaces is what I think of as sort of a centrist, progressivist, statist vision, where the where we're treated as customers or uh, consumers. Um, uh, part of a mass rather than citizens or uh, a, a proletariat that would have a political uh, project of our own. Um, yeah. We're not given information to act upon, but we're given information that will help us continue to consume the product. Right. So it's more it's more of a shopping mall than a public square, really. And that might be a better right. way to, to go about thinking about it. Um, but yet we're, we're also in a situation which I think a lot of people are worried about fake news, you know, post-truth, all these kind of contemporary questions which have generated their own publishing industry. Um, and, uh, and, and the fact that there, the rise of conspiracy theories seems concerning. Um, obviously, I don't think we should be uncritical of the rise of conspiracy theories um, or, you know, the, the growth of the recent growth of them, if, if that is such a thing. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, the, we're, we're in a situation where the default solution to that is to empower big tech to clamp down on um, conspiracy theories. And I think the, the case of your video shows very clearly why we shouldn't do that. Yeah, I, I agree. And I also would point out that while it may seem as though conspiracy theories are more uh, popular today than they have been in the past, I'm not so sure that that's really the case. I mean, 20 years ago, there were 9-11 Mm. conspiracy theories that were often enough uh, promulgated uh, by people on the left. Um, there was a Kennedy assassination. I don't know how many people believe that we never went to the moon. Uh, there's a, a, a just a, always been a, a kind of a, an approach to understanding history that includes uh, the idea of a conspiracy theory and sort of the conspiracy theory version of history. And uh, uh, overcoming it won't be something you can do by controlling information. Yeah. It will have to be changing the the 
the alienation that people feel from society. So when people start to feel like they have some say, they are participating in creating history, then it won't seem like a conspiracy enacted against against them, you know. Um, so the, again, for me, the 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 solution for uh, these kinds of problems has to run a little deeper, and I think it has to be uh, uh, more radical and ultimately some sort of movement for socialism that un undoes the alienation that sets up these problems. I also think that a lot of the reasons people give or, or, uh, for, for being so concerned about fake news ultimately comes down to not trusting other people to think there's a very elitist quality yeah. to, yeah. to the, uh, to the, the concern about misinformation. It's like, are you so sure that you, you know, the truth that you can distinguish between misinformation and the truth? Um, uh, I know that in America, the Russiagate story had legs for four years, and most of it was misinformation. Most of it yeah. was completely and and, and sustained and, su and sustained by precisely those trustworthy in quotation marks mainstream media outlets um, who are the big advocates of clamping down on fake news. Um, exactly. So it, you yeah. know the, the boundaries are very blurred. I mean, I remember when he had um, Glenn Greenwald back on the podcast back like a year ago, and we we're discussing fake news, and he just interrupted me. That you know this is this is nonsense. There's no fake news. There's it's just propaganda. You know that's what it was always called, um, and we accepted that in <laughs> in society that there would be propaganda from different political actors, um, and that we have to navigate that and, and debate the and debate things, and that's the only way you can come to any notion of, of truth, really. Um, right. And I mean, I I do think that there is. I suspect there's a growth in conspiracy theorizing or people who are more open to uh, conspiracy theories than before. And, uh, you know, certainly over the past kind of 30 years, there's maybe been a growth of that. And that's probably linked to the collapse in the authority of mainstream institutions um, and growing mistrust. And as you say, alienation from society. Um, I, th I wanted to draw in, in relation to that. Um, draw attention to another line that you wrote in your blog, which is the, the death of so socialist ideology is a material fact that is operative in the world. Um, and I think that's undoubtedly true, something that we've discussed uh, at length in this podcast. T two consequences ensue from that. One uh, seems to me that liberalism falls apart, that it collapses in on itself. Um, so one example of this is that no one seems to, you know, liberals don't defend free speech anymore. Um, that perhaps a uh, militant socialist movement put pressure on liberals to hold true to their own values. Um, and indeed, socialist movements themselves, um, you know, held elites to account uh, on terms of free speech, for example. Um, and the second one, which um, is perhaps slightly more complex, but which is basically that, as you've already hinted at, that without socialism, that people are increasingly treated like idiots, like passive receptacles of information, um, that eight people's agency is denied. So at best, you're a consumer in, in the shopping mall of, of social media, but you're not a, you know, an active participant uh, in a public square. Yeah, I think that um, I, I agree with you on both counts. I'm, I'm a little unsure as to the, the degree to which the radical project for socialism uh, was always able to move the liberal center to be true to its values and to, I, I think that 
probably the liberal center uh, was always the enemy of the radical <laughs> project, and that you know that being true to their values was uh, uh, when that when that happened, it was for a variety of, of reasons, uh, historically contingent, maybe. But but um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I think when I think about that, I think yeah, maybe you know in in. I don't know, like Western Europe or North America that may be held true to a certain degree. And then I think about the global South. I think about Brazil, for example. I think, well, no, they were never, <laughs> the liberals were never held true to their values. That's nonsense. They were just turned to ever more extreme. So yeah, no, that's, that, that, that I mean, in the, in, in the 50s, the House of Un-American Activities Committee was not only uh, the the uh, domain of the far right. Uh, there was a, a large contingency of liberal anti-communists mm. and, and uh, there was, there's always been a debate about what you can really allow into the public sphere, but there were institutions that did form that tended for a while to really be true, at least to that value of free speech. And I'm not an expert on this, but the ACLU, that has seemed to change lately. Yeah. The, that institution. Um, but, uh, you know, to, but to work out exactly how that project for socialism uh, affects the liberal center um, uh, you know, it would be difficult. And I think here's my real concern about that. I think that once you start to act, to, to, to make claims like, oh, the project for socialism is the only thing that keeps the liberals honest. <laughs> what you're saying is we're the loyal opposition to the liberal center. We don't have a, a project of mm. our own. We don't have a, a, a grasping after power of our own. Um, we are, our goal is simply to be the far left of the of the liberal establishment and, and to try to pull it back towards its core values. And my, my take would be, no, we really have to take hold of this idea that we're not them. They are not our friends. We're fighting those people and we want to beat them. Um, that, that's, that's how I, I feel today. And, uh, uh, I know that for a lot of people to say you want to beat the Democrats and just destroy them makes you sound like a Republican. But that just shows how how uh, distant the socialist dream is from even people's imaginations today. No, absolutely. I think that's uh, that's very well put. Um, and I guess maybe just just finally, I think you know when whether we're talking about whether the liberal center ever truly held up its own end of the of the bargain, held true to its own values or not, um, we can leave to one side. But what I think remarkable in the current moment is that the liberal left um, or left liberals, um, depending on how you want to look at it. Um, themselves have have really abandoned free speech, and I think that's maybe the something which is a definite, yeah. definitely chartable uh, historical trajectory over the past you know sixty years or so. Um, this kind of gradual abandonment of you know free speech, probably the most foundational of of those values, um, yeah. which leaves us in this in this really tragic situation. Um, but I think, as you say, maybe and just to give you the final word, I mean, I think it it does seem to be the case that you know, kind of the socialist project would need to be the ones upholding uh, free speech and realizing those values because yeah. no one else will. Right. We need uh, to have open discourse and real debate and uh, the free exchange of ideas to develop our own project. We won't get anywhere if we uh, aren't allowed to both speak in public and speak freely to one another. And um, th so that, uh, from my way of thinking, unfortunately, uh, defending free speech values uh, the, and uh, trying to create a culture of, of free communication and free thinking um, is fundamental. 
uh, and uh, I'm not always very good at it. I'm very quick to block people on Facebook <laughs> you know, and, and that kind of thing. Uh, but uh, I, I uh, still nonetheless um, uh, feel like it's a core value. Absolutely. Very good. Um, I would encourage listeners to also check out the video that was taken down. Uh, of course, nothing like uh, censorship to make something seem really uh, especially appealing uh, and dangerous. So go check it out. We've uh, linked to it. It's still posted on um, Zero Books Patreon. Uh, now that it's been taken down from YouTube. Right. And, and it's it's free there. You don't have to join the Patreon to see it. Yeah, exactly. All right. So thanks very much uh, to Doug. Uh, maybe a discussion we should carry on uh, in another point in time as well. Uh, and thank you for listening, listener. And for patrons only, here is George, Phil, and myself on three articles on big tech and conspiracy theories, the hollowed out neoliberal state and drone warfare.